0: Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, L-E-L-E, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the son of God. Many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said... After three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. This is the word of the Lord. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. Amazing things happen here. Look at them. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. Verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Verses 52 and 53, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. These are amazing events. But as amazing as these events were, they are nothing compared to the real event here. The real event is in verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, L-E-L-E, lama sabachthani, which that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the real event is in verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Darkness over the land, the veil of the temple ripping from top to bottom, the earth shaking and the rocks splitting, tombs opening and dead saints rising from the dead and walking around. Those things are nothing compared with what was really going on here. What was really going on here is that God the Father was forsaking His beloved Son. God the Father was crushing His beloved Son. God the Father was killing His beloved Son. The Prince of Life died. If you understand the significance of that, if you understand the unimaginable weirdness and terribleness of that, then these other things will seem like nothing to you. So for three hours the sun was darkened. Of course. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. Of course. The veil of the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. Absolutely, the real priest is here. The real sacrifice has been made. The real holy of holies has been sprinkled with the spotless and precious blood of the perfect lamb. The earth shook and the rocks split. Why not? The tombs were opened and saints came to life and walked on the earth after the resurrection? Of course. Their Lord and Master, the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn of those who are asleep, has conquered death by His death. These things are amazing, but they're nothing compared to what was really going on. And What is really going on is that Jesus, the Prince of Life, the Holy and Blameless One, the Son of God, the Righteous One, was killed by God the Father. What's going on here is what we call the penal substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? What does penal mean? Penal has to do with punishment, it has to do with pain. Pain inflicted because laws have been broken. What does substitutionary mean? Substitutionary means that Jesus' suffering and death was not for his own sin because he had no sin. 1 Peter 2:22 Jesus Christ committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Hebrews 4:15 He has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. But he did suffer for sin. Why? He suffered the just punishment for sin because he was suffering for you. In your place, taking what you deserve so you could go free. And what does atonement mean? Atonement means being made right with God. It means blotting out the offense. Blotting out the offense that separated you from God. So what does all of that mean? What does penal substitutionary atonement mean? It means what Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. It means what Romans 5, 6-8 says. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It means what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. He made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It means what Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It means what 1 Peter 2.24 says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by His wounds you were healed. It means what 1 Peter 3.18 says. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned He stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Now, with all of that in mind, let's look back at, at this, these signs that God performed when his son was hanging on the cross. The most amazing of these signs is the one that seems least spectacular to us. The most amazing sign happened when the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We read that and we pass right over it to the exciting parts. Darkness and earthquake and splitting rock and dead men made alive again. All of those signs that would have made us tremble had we seen them. But I tell you, the ripping of the veil is the sign that should be trembled at. It is the sign that the Jews should have trembled at the most. And it's the sign that should fill us with awe. What is going on with this ripping of the veil from top to bottom? What is this veil anyway? What, what immediately comes to your mind when you hear the word veil? I'll tell you what most of us think of immediately. We think of this thin, wispy, transparent thing that, that brides hang over their faces as they're coming down the aisle. It's the only thing that we know of that's called a veil. But that is nothing like this veil. This veil was the curtain that hung in the Jewish temple to separate the main chamber from the Holy of Holies, the place where where God dwelt, where God's presence dwelt with his people. This was no thin, wispy, transparent veil. This was a thick, dark, foreboding thing. This veil, they tell us, in this temple at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, was probably 60 feet high. This ceiling all the way to the top is 30 feet. Twice as high as this. Tradition says that it was four inches thick and that horses tied to each side of it could not rip it apart. It was a curtain that hid what was behind it and that kept everyone out except... For the high priest who entered into the Holy of Holies once a year with blood to sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant and to make atonement for the sins of the people. The Ark of the Covenant was the one place where God ordained to meet with his people. It was the visible representation of the presence of God as he sat in judgment and holiness And the only way that his people could draw near to him was through the spilled blood of a spotless lamb in the hands of the high priest. And that happened only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And the rest of the year, the Holy of Holies, the one place where God's presence was visible, the one place where God met with his people was utterly off limits. It was shielded and curtained off. And anyone who went into that holy place except the high priest on the day of atonement with blood would be killed by God. Why? Why did God keep his people away from him? It is because God is holy and pure and he cannot bear to look at sin. And the holiness of God cannot help but destroy sin when it finds it. And so year after year after year, the high priest of Israel would enter into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement with the blood of an animal whose throat he had slit. And year after year after year, the people of God were reminded that they were sinners and that they were unclean and that they could not enter the presence of God. And if they did enter the presence of God, they would be destroyed by the holy wrath of God. The whole life of the people of God, their whole existence as a people, was organized around that one day when a priest would draw near to God for them and cover their sins again for another year. And the veil in the temple was the perpetual visible, tangible reminder that they could not come near to God. That God was holy and that they were cut off from God by their own sin. That they deserved to be forsaken of God and crushed by God and cast aside by God into hell. And that the only thing that would let them into the presence of God was blood. Because they deserved to die at the righteous, holy, wrathful hand of God. But something amazing happened when Jesus hung on the cross. After hours of suffering and torment, and after hours of bearing the crushing weight of being forsaken by His Father in heaven, He cried out with a loud voice, and He died. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Once and for all, The presence of God is open to men once and for all. The wrath of God is satisfied once and for all. It is finished full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a savior. Our problem. Is that most of us live as if none of that were true. We continue to live as if we had no direct access to God. We continue to live as as if we cannot boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to forgive our sin and to empower us to obey. We continue to live as if Jesus Christ has not stood in our place and taken the full wrath of God for us. We continue to live as if we could offer our own sacrifice to God in order to be accepted by Him. We continue to live as if our sins are not forgiven, and our transgressions are not covered. We continue to live as if God did not forsake our Lord Jesus Christ, and that instead He has forsaken us. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins? I mean, do you really believe it? Do you believe these words from Hebrews 9? But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Have you trusted the work of Jesus Christ for you? Has he cleansed your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You will never serve the living God until you taste the sweetness of forgiven sin and the richness of full atonement and the freedom of a conscience that has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Do you believe these words from Hebrews 4? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come to him. Come boldly to him. Come freely to him. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he opened up for us through the veil. That is his flesh. We have a great high priest over the house of God. We can draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Do not walk out of this room today without embracing, believing, grabbing hold of the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. He did it for anyone who will come to Him. Anyone who will grab a hold of him and trust him by faith alone. I would like for us, as I finish, to pray a prayer together. And the words will be on the screen. This is a prayer that was a part of a sermon that was preached in the 1600s by a Puritan named John Flavel. And it it expresses perfectly what happened on the cross. And so I'd like for us to pray it together. Lord, the condemnation was yours, that the justification might be mine. The agony was yours, that the victory might be mine. The pain was yours, and the ease mine. The stripes were yours, and the healing balm issuing from them mine. The vinegar and gall were yours that the honey and sweet might be mine. The curse was yours, that the blessing might be mine. The crown of thorns was yours, that the crown of glory might be mine. The death was yours, the life purchased by it mine. You paid the price, that I might enjoy the inheritance. Lord Jesus Christ, You have suffered for us. You have laid down Your life for us. You have borne the full weight of the full wrath of God the Father Almighty for us. And I pray, Lord, that every soul in this room would embrace that and would find You to be a merciful and faithful, sympathetic High Priest I pray that every one of us would draw near to Your throne of grace, even now, to find mercy, forgiveness for our sins, and grace, power, to help us in our time of need. Lord, please come and have mercy on us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.